I'm going to be reading from 1 Kings. I'm going to put it on the screen behind me here. 1 Kings chapter 17, a little context. So things are not going well in the land of Israel. The king of Israel has married a woman from another country. And she has chosen to bring false gods into, into Israel. The people are turning away from God. And it's made God's heart really sad. And to get people's attention, He withholds rain from the land. And the people experience a great famine, which requires them to trust God. He sends a prophet named Elijah to bring this word to the people. He tells Elijah to go to a brook, and there he'll be fed by ravens. And there he will find a little bit of water. But at some point, the drought goes on, and the people are not hearing the word. And, and then Elijah runs out of water, runs out of food. And God says to Elijah, go to the home of a widow who is down to the very last bit of her food, and she will provide for you. And this is a lesson in generosity and giving about trust. And God who provides. And here's the story. It says, The Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zapharath near the city of Sidon. And I've instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to that city. And as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and asked her, Would you please give me a little cup of water? And as you're going to get it, he called her, Bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and I just have a little bit of cooking oil down in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to build a fire to cook this last meal. And then my son and I, we were going to go and we would die. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go and just do what you said. But make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For that is what the Lord your God of Israel says. And he says there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. Hear the word of the Lord. There will always be enough. Do you hear what God said this morning through his word? When we are generous, when we give, when we give to others first and put the needs of other people ahead of our own, there will always be enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. That's the word of God for the morning. And all God's people did say. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning I'm going to tell you a few stories. And um, I want to tell you the story of Alex and Abby Heitzelberger and the circumstances of their birth. Uh, Brandy and Eric Heitzelberger were expecting twins. And Abby and Alex, raise your hand, Alex. Abby, there you go, there he is. Abby, 
They were born at 25 weeks. And as you understand, being born at 25 weeks, it it comes with uh, consequences. Being born that early creates special needs. And uh, you can imagine how uh, Brandy and Eric felt to be excited to welcome their children to the world and just, and just to feel the deep concern and, and worry and all the excitement of being parents. And then to learn at the beginning of your children's life that they're going to be faced with some obstacles that other children aren't going to have. They're going to make it more difficult for them to fit in and to have the same experience as other children. And when parents, when parents discover that their children have special needs that require special attention, they go through a whole range, a whole range of emotions. And I want to tell you that Abby and Alex are amazingly bright, beautiful, incredible children, and we are so blessed to have them as a part of our church family. They add so much to our church. But Brandy and Eric are amazing people and amazing parents. Most people experiencing what they experienced in the early years of their children's life would literally crumble them. In fact, most parents who have their experience end up not surviving it and end up divorcing because of the pressure. It's hard enough to raise children in the world. But when you are raising special needs children, it requires so much more diligence and effort than is almost humanly possible. And you can only do it with God's help. And so often these families feel so isolated and so disconnected. Alex was in the hospital uh, for four and a half months. Now 14 years have passed. And look at these beautiful children. (laughs) So full of life and so full of energy. Here's their family. They just came back uh, a week ago from a trip Uh, to Universal Studios. And Eric and Brandy have done an amazing job raising amazing children. Alex goes to to the Kentucky School for the Blind and and, uh, Abby goes to Summit Academy. They're both having great experiences and learning and growing and just enjoying life. But uh, Brandy told me that when you have a child with special needs, churches can be an iffy thing. Because it's really hard to find a church that will fully welcome and embrace your children. Because churches, it's not that churches want to reject children or not welcome and make space. They just don't know what to do. And they're not prepared. Not prepared. And so with hopes, I I don't remember who it was, but somebody invited them to come to our church. And they came to our church. And at the time, Laura Mozzie was our children's minister. And Laura said, we will do anything we can to make things work for you. And they did. Now, I would be lying if I didn't say there have been some challenges. There have been some moments when it hasn't worked so well and when uh, Brandy and Eric's patience have been tested. But I want to tell you, it's not them thanking us for making, you know, for being church family them. It's us thanking them because they've been so incredibly patient and loving and kind to our church and have opened it up, opened up to us to show us what it really means to love your children and what it means to really love God. And if it weren't for the Heitzelberger family, we wouldn't have this ministry. Buddy Break. I went this yesterday, Buddy Break was taking place yesterday, and I went down and saw an amazing ministry taking place in our church. 
um, for these families um, who are just exhausted and they're able to bring their children here and are able to be here all morning and they go and they would get respite. And we have one adult per child. I met a little boy there named Manny. Manny's been coming for some time. And Manny is, I asked Manny, I said, what's your name? He said, I'm too busy to tell you, sir. And then, and then, and then I learned that he knows every county in the state of Kentucky. I said to him, he's on the autism spectrum, and I said to him, so what county is Paducah? And he goes, McCracken. I said, what county is Bowling Green? Warren. I said, what county is Fayette? That's too easy, he said. And then I found out he knows the capital of every country, every country in the world. I said, what's the capital of Germany? He said, why don't you give me a hard one? That's Berlin. How about Slovakia? I said, I don't know what the... He goes, it's Bratislava. Bratislava. I can't even say it. <laughs> Bratislava. I go, amazing. Just amazing. Brandy took me on a tour of Vips, visually impaired preschool. And uh, when I walked in the room, I, I was treated... Uh, I haven't, I've never been there, but they treated me with such warmth because of our church. Brandy was the chairman of the board, and they took their children there. And the visually impaired preschool is only one of five schools in the country that, that help prepare visually impaired children to have success in school after they leave. And it's an amazing place. Forty-five children there in preschool. They minister to kids, about 540 kids all over the state and all over Indiana. And what was so rewarding about going was I walk in, and I see... Paula Miller putting a decoration on the top of the Christmas tree, one of our church members. She was there to volunteer. And then I found out that our church had won the Beacon Award in 2015 for community service. And then this last week, I got a letter in the mail from Visually Impaired Preschool thanking us for a $5,000 gift sent from our endowment to bless their children. Thank you, Brandy. Thank you, Eric. You know, that's our church. And yesterday, a young woman came up here to meet with me. Her father, grandfather passed away. I was planning her funeral. She said, what's going on up here? Well, we had the buddy break going on, and we had 70 people up here in the choir singing their hearts out to God. And then we had people from different churches handing out Thanksgiving baskets. We asked you for 300, and we ended up with 600. Yeah. 600, not just from our church, but from other churches. And so all morning long, there was Middletown Christian Church and Southeast Christian Church and other churches out there handing out food baskets to different families who came and who were in need. And there was two women that came on with those special buses for, for individuals who have to be transported, who, have, who are, need handicap accessible. We gave them four baskets each. We weren't supposed to do that, but we did it anyway. And, but we had so many baskets of food left over. We were able to completely stock the EACM food pantry. And Melvin, our own Melvin LeCount, one of our pastors and staff, was able to go to the House of Ruth and deliver 50 baskets. Do you know what the House of Ruth is? The House of Ruth ministers to people who have been socially ostracized because they have HIV. Women children and men whose stomachs will be warned through the gifts that you provided. Folks, that's our church. Doesn't that make you glad? Can I tell, I'm just going to keep going. Can I tell you another story? 
Here's a story. You ever see, anybody ever get one of these when they were in the hospital? Raise your hand. You know why they received one? Because in 2003, a group of women called the Harmony Circle started making these blankets that every person who was in the hospital that got called on by someone in the hospital would get a blanket. It has a prayer attached to it in Philippians 4, which talks about giving all our prayers and requests to God so that His peace, which transcends all things, would fill our hearts and minds and give us protection and hope. So many times when I've been to the hospital or another person's been, the, you know, we find them with this draped across them, uh, keeping them warm. Recently, we received a call from a family member who goes to our church who said, I have a family member, a brother, who hasn't been to church in years. In fact, he's even a little bit hostile to the church because of a bad experience. But would you go and see him? And when he took his last breath, it made his family feel so good to know that one of the last acts in his life was to be blessed by their church. And it meant so much to them that when he was laid in the ground, he was buried with the blanket given by the harmony, sir. That's your church. That's your church. Can you imagine a question? Can you imagine what our church can accomplish or is accomplishing by being just outrageously generous? How much will your life improve? How much will your life improve if you become a more generous person? Because generosity, you know what it does? It opens doors to people's hearts. You can read the Bible to them. You can tell them what you believe. But what you believe doesn't open a heart, a human heart. It's when you just give an unconditional gift in the way that God has given to you. The generous creator God who gives all of us our life and our love and his grace and his forgiveness. Let me tell you one more story. You may not recognize this beautiful nurse with the beautiful hat. That's Ann Wilson. Ann Wilson was married to Ralph Wilson for 55 years. Ralph is an elder emeritus in our church. One of the grandest, greatest fellows that ever married to one of the greatest, most beautiful woman ever. And they raised their two children in the church. Uh, Mark and Bill. Bill Wilson. You know him. You love him. He was outside yesterday passing out those Thanksgiving baskets. When she was a nurse in the 1950s, she worked in a polio ward. And she served all over the city. But here's where the story gets interesting. One day, there was a woman by the name of Kim, it's in, this is a much older picture, Kim Kolb. Kim was a nursing student. She'd moved here from Indiana. First job, living in an apartment all by herself. Guess whose ward she was on and under whose leadership? Ann Wilson. Kim told me, she said that Ann made me feel so welcomed she welcomed me into her family. She loved me. She taught me what it means to be a good nurse. And then she said, you know, you ought to come visit my church. And she said, I did. Then Kim moved away. She went to uh, Purdue, and she forgot all about Middletown Christian Church. She got a degree, a pharmacy degree, fell in love and married a, Catholic, a young Catholic man, moved back to Louisville, 
and raised her family. After 30 years of meeting Anne, she decided she needed a change in her life. And she's trying to remember, what was the name of that church she belonged to? She looked it up online, and she listened to a sermon, and she decided to come and visit anyway. (laughs) And she came, and she joined the church, and she attends on Sunday night at 530, and and her life is just getting blessed in immeasurable ways. Now, only God could do this, folks. She signs up for a glad and generous dinner where we had 250 people meet in different people's homes. She's telling her story. about how she came to our church and was telling the story of this remarkable woman named Ann Wilson. And Ralph spoke up and said, I was her husband. Only God could do that. Only God. Do you know generosity is a way of life? Generosity is not uh, something that we do. It's not a donation. It's not an act. It's, it's just who we are as people. And what happens is, is when we're generous, you know what it does? It creates intimacy. Generosity creates intimacy between us and God. It's a, it's a pathway to intimacy with God. Because when you're generous, you're connected to the heart of God. To be generous requires you to place trust in God. And that that intimacy creates intimacy. It connects people. It opens hearts, opens doors. It's it's a way of living and a way of being in the world. And that's what that story is about, that story of the widow I told you earlier. Because this man shows up at her door, and he's hungry. She's only got enough bread for herself. And she faces the question, what will I do? Is there enough for all of us? And she looks at what she has, and she realizes she doesn't have much. But the man of God says, trust, God sent me. And if you'll be generous, God's going to take care of us. So she had to make a decision. She's going to have to make a decision. Every one of us, we face that same decision. God has blessed us with what we have. Do we have enough to be generous with others? Do we have enough? And you remember from the story, it says she was a single mom. She's preparing her last meal. They were going to eat it and they were going to die. But she decided to trust Elijah and to be generous and to share the little she had. And then it said, there was enough. There was enough. And God demonstrated what God always does when we open our hearts up and we live from a place of abundance rather than from a place of scarcity. He always resupplies us with what we need. Every time this church has been generous, every time we've given radically, God always provides for us with everything that we need. Now, I know, I know you want our world to be a better world. I know that you want your family to be a happier family. I know that you want to raise healthy, beautiful children. I know that you want to see our city be a better place. I know your heart. But I know this about me and about you. 
that nothing ever will happen, nothing changes until I do. And if you want to start a tsunami or a wave of grace and beauty in the city, it starts inside of you. It starts inside of your heart. It starts with you opening yourself up to this generous and amazing God and listening to His voice and trusting Him. Trusting Him to place value on what matters the most. Not the stuff that you have. And beginning to reevaluate your life from how you want to be remembered. Because when you're generous, it leaves behind a legacy as beautiful as an Ann Wilson. And her life just keeps giving and giving and giving beyond her life. Don't you want that to be your story? So you can start by just acknowledging your fear. A lot of reasons. We, we're not generous. We're, we're fearful. It's one of them. Asking for help. The other is just being more grateful. The third, then, is perhaps changing the words you speak. You know, beginning to use words of abundance and hope. But speaking, being generous in how you talk. Are you generous in the way you talk to other people? The fourth is take a risk. You're never going to discover if you can trust God to do what God says he will do unless you take a risk. Oh, never. God's not going to make it easy for you so you can do something awesome. Do something awesome and discover how good God is to you. So there's a story. Last Bible story. So it says in Mark's gospel, and it says it also in Matthew's gospel, that one day Jesus went to eat dinner. Did you ever notice how often Jesus had meals with people? He was always eating dinner with people. Did you ever notice how big his table was? He had this huge, big table. Huge table. He ate dinner with all kinds of people. I'm always amazed when I hear a church say, you can't come to the communion table because you did this or you got divorced. When Jesus ate dinner with Judas, I mean, come on now. What Bible are you reading? You know? We'll take your offering, but if you've been divorced, you can't have communion. You know, we want to put all these fences around the table. But there's this great story, it says in the story, that this woman, uh, this woman barges into the party and pours expensive perfume all over the feet of Jesus. You remember the story? There's one part of the story you may not remember. A little bit part at the beginning, it says, Then Jesus went to dinner at the home of Simon the leper. Now that was some party. A leper, a woman with a past, a socially an, uh, ostracized, unclean person, and a woman that has scandalous reputation. And there she's with the disciples. And the disciples are a mixed bag too. They can't figure it out, and a big argument breaks out. It's a big, messy thing. The disciples are arguing. She shouldn't have spit poured out of that. We could have used that to feed the poor. What are we going to do? My point is, the table of Jesus is supposed to be messy. If we're going to build a church, a generous church, let's build a generous church with a great, big, messy table that just welcomes everybody. Let's be that church, okay? Let's be the church that doesn't require everybody to believe the right things or to have the right past, that just says we're going to open up the table to anyone and everyone and just be generous and just trust it because Jesus is at the table with us. He's going to show us what we need, a place where you can be real and authentic and vulnerable and be yourself.
Now, I know what's going to happen this week. At least I know what's happening for me this week. I'm driving to Arkansas. Whole family's going to Little Rock. My father-in-law is going to get one of these little tables out. You ever see one of these at Thanksgiving? Okay. And when he's setting it up, you wonder who's going to sit at the small table. Now, I've been going down there for 22 years, and I'm still sitting at the small table. <laughs> I'm hoping someday I'm going to get to the real, t- to the big table, you know? But when you sit at the small table, it's usually because you're little, because you're small, or maybe you're the boyfriend that came that nobody thinks will be there the next year, so they put him at the table. <laughs> He's a boyfriend. He can go over there, you know? But for a lot of different reasons. You know you really got it bad if you had to sit at the card table. Or it's even worse if you don't even get a spot at any table. You just got to have the food on your lap. Point being, that's the way a lot of people feel with the church of Jesus Christ. Some feel because of their past or who they are or just the way God made them that they're not welcomed. They don't even walk in. Then some people feel like they have to be at the little small table before they can go to the big table. You got to believe the right things. You got to know this much stuff. You got to have it all figured out. Get your life all straightened out. You got to. You got to do this. You got to do that. You know. And and then God forbid you do anything that prevents you from. That's a lot. It's a mortal sin that prevents you forever going to the big table. But I want to tell you at Middletown Christian Church, what we're trying to do is no more small tables. And what we're going to do. This is our vision. Is I'm going to get on one end. Somebody's going to get on the other end, and we're going to pull it out, put a couple leaves in, and make room for more. Until the table is big enough for everyone to have a seat at his table. But here's the great thing about it. When we open ourselves up to the generosity of God and just grow a bigger and bigger table, guess what? And we get people around the table that don't look like me, that don't think like me, that don't vote like me, that don't dress like me. God gets so much bigger. Happy Thanksgiving.